Okay, so this week three in our series on, on prayer, and uh, one of the most important things I learned early on in my Christian life is that God invites us to ask Him for things in prayer. He invites us to make the ask. And I, uh, I learned this very early on in my Christian life. My parents sent me to a private high school near Princeton, New Jersey called Lawrenceville. And their hope was that I could lift up my grades. And uh, my dad went to Princeton. My uncle went to Princeton. My grandfather went to Princeton. His uncle went to Princeton. My dad never said, you got to go to that school. But I was sent to a school five miles away from Princeton. And that was the expectation, I think. Um, I did not want to be there, to be honest with you. Uh, I did not want to be at, at, at that school. And I realized, as a new believer, that I had to make the best of my time at this school. As a new believer, I was pretty passionate about my faith. I was totally unafraid to talk to people about Christ. And I scoured that school for months trying to find just one believer that I could have contact with. I couldn't find one. I went to the chaplain of the school. Big mistake. He tried to dissuade me from being a warmly devoted follower of Jesus. He tried to dissuade me from it. He was the chaplain of the school. And so uh, I discovered that there was a Bible study in Princeton, New Jersey. One problem was I was not allowed off campus at night. So I went to uh, my housemaster with a request, and I knew it was a lost cause. I said, Mr. Porter, will you please allow me to, to attend a Bible study in Princeton, New Jersey? And with his half-moon glasses, he said, most irregular, Mr. McIlvain, most irregular. I was 16 years old. He's calling me Mr. McIlvain. Here's a picture of Mr. Porter. So, um, he said, okay, you can do it. So, a Princeton Evangelical Fellowship Bible study member drove to my school, picked me up, drove me down to Princeton, drove me back up to my school, and then drove back to Princeton. And that Bible study was my lifeline. It was my lifeline. And I was pretty, I was pretty cautious about who I told because I knew I was, I was really out there on the edge. And finally, the administration found out about it, and they said, no more. You can't do this anymore. So I went back to the administration, and I said, okay, I'm going to ask for a special request. Will you please allow me to do this? And they said, okay, fine. If you have no Wednesday classes next semester, you can do it. Well, that's like saying if the sun doesn't come up, you can do it. So I prayed and prayed and prayed, God, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you, Lord. Let me have no Wednesday classes. I don't care if I have classes on Saturdays. No Wednesday classes. So the day came where I got my class schedule, and guess what? I had no Wednesday classes. And when my friends found out about this, they said, what a waste. Here, you have permission to go off campus. And what do you do? You go to a Bible study. What a waste. But I'll tell you, that man, who's deceased now, but that man showed kindness to me 
And that kindness, I'm convinced, was kindness that came about through my asking God, Lord, I, I've got to have some lifeline to you while I'm at this school. And God taught me very early on in my Christian life that I had to make the ask. And I will tell you that God loves it when you make the ask. He loves it when you have a list of things that, you, that are on your heart and you come to Him with those things. Over the years, I've asked God for many things, prayers for our marriage, prayers for our family, prayers for our finances, prayers for our health. And sometimes those things have been heavy on my heart, and I've asked Him for these things knowing that I am, I'm like listing a bunch of things for God to answer. And haven't you had those times where you've gone, I wonder how God feels about this list? Like, am I asking for too many things? Am I bugging God? Am I bugging Him? One of the things that's happened to me as I become a grandfather is that I realize my grandfather's heart loves to give. And I probably told you this story before, but um, I went out with my grandchildren on just a fun little date in downtown Edmonds, Washington. And we went to the Starbucks in Edmonds, and my grandkids said, cake pops. Can we have some? You know what cake pops are at Starbucks? I said, sure, you can. Sure. We get home to my daughter's house, and remnants of the cake pops are still on their clothes. Some of the, some of the sticks are in their hands still. My daughter's, Dad, what were you thinking? We're so close to dinner. What, 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 like, what were you thinking? Well, you know, as a grandfather, I want to give. That's my heart. My heart is for giving to the requests of my grandkids. And so what I want to do this morning is help you become a better asker by helping you see the heart of God and the heart of asking at the same time. So Luke 5 uh, <clears throat> is a wonderful story, uh, and actually there's a central command in verses 9 and 10, and that command is sandwiched between two stories that Jesus tells. So what we want to do is we want to look at the central command first. And then we want to see the stories that Jesus builds around the command, because the point of this structure, as Jesus does this, is He wants to say to us, you must make the ask, but I want to show you the heart of God as you make the ask. So let's, be, let's begin in the, in the very middle with the command, um, and here's... Here's Luke 11, 9, and 10. We've got three commands in this verse, and all center on one idea, making the ask. Here are the commands. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it shall be opened. Now, you remember that Jesus has been teaching His disciples on prayer because Jesus was praying at a certain place, and His disciples uh, were patiently waiting for Him to finish the prayer. When He's done, He says, um, they say, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? I mean, John taught His disciples how to pray. They were pretty blown away hearing Jesus pray to the Father, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? And so what Jesus does is He teaches the Luke version of the Lord's Prayer. And the Luke version of the Lord's Prayer makes us something very clear about prayer. 
he's talking about the, the basic ABCs of prayer. And we know that because there is one God in Luke 11, 1 through 4, that version of the Lord's Prayer. There are two affirmations, one for God's name, then one for God's kingdom. And there are three requests, daily needs, forgiveness, and protection. One, two, three, ABC. These are the basic fundamentals of prayer. And Jesus intended that the Lord's Prayer be a skeleton prayer, a model prayer, a prayer that you can pray a line and expand on it, the next line and expand on it, the next line and expand on it. It's basic fundamental prayer. But notice that part three of that prayer are, are requests. You're, you're making the ask. And so, like, like all of us, you know, the disciples are thinking, okay, so how far can I push the asking thing? And what's God thinking about me when I make the ask? And so, what, what Jesus does is He teaches us the heart of asking. How should we think about God as we ask Him for stuff? Is He generous? Is He stingy? What, what's, what's His character as we ask Him for things. You know, one concept of God is that it's selfish to have too many requests. Like, if I have a list of things that's selfish, I shouldn't be doing that, I shouldn't be making requests toward God, that's a violation of His holiness and His sovereignty. And that's a wrong response. That's a wrong way to think about, about God. Another wrong concept is that if I ask God for too many things, He's going to become irritated. So some people will say, Lord, I, I'm so sorry coming to you again about this. I know you're probably, probably angry at me or bugged by the number of times I have approached you about this particular request. Sorry, God. I'm going to ask it again, though. It's, it's the idea that God is stingy, irritated, and does not want to give. But these, these commands, ask, seek, knock, suggest that we need to be at the process of making the asks. So let me give you three observations about ask, seek, and knock. Observation number one is that these are continuous commands. That means you start and then you keep on doing the thing you're commanded to do. They're continuous commands. If, if I'm going to use the technical term, I would say this is the iterative imperative, which means that Jesus wants us to perform the commands not once, not twice, but continuously. We are continuously encouraged to make requests of the God of the universe. In fact, you could translate it this way, keep on asking, like over and over again, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking over and over again, every single day, and, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, like all the time, and the door will be open. So you think, if that's the way the Greek should be translated, why don't versions translate it that way? Well, they do. And here's the New Living Translation. Keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Because of the way this command is, is, is listed, the idea is that we should continuously be in the process of asking, seeking, and knocking. What this tells us is that prayer is not a magic formula. It's not like we, we pray once and bam, uh, we're going to get the exact answer that we want. 
No, it's, it's like prayer is a discipline of relating to the God of the universe. And as we ask, as we seek, as we knock, we're relating to Him. We're enjoying Him. Prayer is response of your heart to the God of the universe who loves you unconditionally. And truth be told, some prayers need to be prayed for weeks, for months, sometimes for years. And sometimes the prayers that you pray over the years will adjust and shift and change. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was dating Cindy, I told Cindy, if you get married to me, we're going to France and we're going to live the rest of our lives in Europe. How's that for romance, huh? Like, no, I, I, did, I did ask her in a more romantic way in Dallas when the official ask took place. But I was convinced that God wanted me to go to France and plant churches in France. I, I, I knew that. I was convinced of that. I'd even gone and lived in Paris for a semester my junior year in college. I, I knew that's what God wanted me to do. And I prayed about that, knew that was His will. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. But here's what did happen. 20 years later, after Grace was, this church was planted, we began to help plant churches in Russia, help plant churches in Cuba. And so the prayer that I was praying for planting churches got shifted into a different path. And then we have a son-in-law who has planted two churches in the Northwest, and we have a son who is involved in helping nationals in North Africa create discipleship groups. And so the prayer that I prayed in college about one direction, Western Europe, got shifted into a different direction. But you know, the wonderful thing about that is that I got to fellowship with God as that vision by God was shifting, adjusting, and changing. It's part of the reason why he says, pray these prayers over and over and over again. It's a chance to fellowship with the God who loves you. So let me ask you a question. If you have to pray about a deeply held desire for five years, is that okay with you? Is that okay if God doesn't answer it immediately, but it takes five years? What if it takes 10? What if it takes 20? What if it takes 40? See, that, the answer to that question really tests what our motives are. If I'm interested only in the answer and not the God who provides it, I need to recalibrate my motives. Part of asking, seeking, finding is that I get to fellowship with my generous Father who knows how to time the giving of His gifts to me in a way that reflects His highest love. That leads to a second observation, and the second observation is that each command represents a different kind of prayer. And asking prayer is a simple prayer that's genuine, generally answered very quickly. Answered very quickly in the moment. Let's say your mom who wakes up, you're a mom and you wake up sick. You got three young kids. And you say, Lord, I need your strength right now because I've got to take care of three young kids. Lord, please give me your strength. And then you walk in the gift, 
the answer that God gives you in the moment. Three hours later, you're kind of wearing down again. You say, Lord, I need more strength. I'm wearing down again. And God answered that prayer, and He gives you the strength you need for the next several hours. Asking prayers are prayers where you ask and you receive a quick answer. But those are different from seeking prayers. Seeking prayers are, by nature, time-bound. So, let's say you're seeking for a job. How many of you have sought for a job and instantly somebody calls you on the phone, I got a job for you? Doesn't happen. Now, maybe in a miraculous way, sometimes it happens, but generally, it takes time to find a job. Okay, so you're, you're praying a seeking prayer. Lord, I pray that you would, you would give me a job. How many of you prayed that you could finish an academic degree? That doesn't happen immediately. It takes years, four years to get an undergrad degree, maybe five. You know, more years to get a master's degree, more years to get a doctoral degree. I mean, academic degrees take time, okay? So you're praying to complete a degree, but those are seeking sorts of prayers. What about prayers for your finances? Lord, we want to save up enough money so that our kids can go to college. Lord, I want to save up enough money so that we can take this vacation, okay? You're praying over your finances, but by nature, the answer to those prayers is going to take place over time. That's what a seeking prayer is, is all about. Remember, my formative years of my Christian life took place at that school in New Jersey, and God was working at my life in some very significant ways. So my, my junior year, I'm, I'm thinking, I want, I want out of here. So I prayed, Lord, I want to go to Southern Methodist University. That's where my best friend was going, SMU in Dallas. And so I applied for early admission to SMU, and I wrote a glowing essay to Dean Lasher, who was the chairman of the admissions department at Southern Methodist University. And I labored over this and sent in the full admissions package to SMU. And uh, school administrator said, you're not going to get in. My parents said, we want you to finish at this school. I said, Lord, I want to go to SMU. Sent the package in. And I pounded the pavement at Lawrenceville School in New Jersey. I pounded that pavement, walking back and forth after school, praying, God, I pray that you would get me into Southern Methodist University. Months went by, praying, 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 God, I pray you let me get in. So one day, I called the admissions office at SMU and said, hey, did you get my application? Yep. Am, am, am I in? On hold. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Seemed like an eternity. Got back on. The lady who was on there was very chipper and upbeat. She said, I got good news for you. You're in. Now I got to convince my dad. Dad, guess what? I got accepted at SMU. And my dad was skeptical. He was skeptical. So, in God's sovereignty, he goes on a business trip down to Dallas and he talks to a colleague, and he says, yeah, my son got accepted into SMU. Is that, a, is that an okay university? Never heard of it before. 
He said, are you kidding me? Your, your son got into SMU? That's amazing. My son applied and didn't get in. My dad said, Rod, you can go. <laughs> but, you know, those were seeking prayers. Those were seeking prayers. And I had no resources to accomplish what I wanted, what was in my heart. I had no resources. I had an administration at that school. You're not, it's not going to happen. I had SMU, and I was asking for, like, special dispensation to get in early. I had, my, I had no resources to get what I wanted. But God taught me, make the ask. Okay, seek me. And um, that was a paradigm for me, a paradigm-shifting thing for me early on in my Christian life. Okay, knocking is another form of prayer. Knocking implies a process. You don't knock just once. person opens the door. It's like sometimes you got to knock a bunch of different times. And knocking prayer is when a door of opportunity is closed and there may be little or no hope for a positive answer. Let me, let me clarify something that people have found confusing. In Jesus' illustration, he's not telling us to knock on heaven's door as if God is reluctant to open. I often think about Wizard of Oz, you know, where, where Dorothy is pounding on the door to Oz. You know, that guy opens the door, you know. No, it's not like, not like that. The door is closed on earth, and God in heaven has to be the one to open that door. Now, seeking prayers and knocking prayers are similar in that both take time. But knocking prayers occur when there is a clear closed door, and you are asking that God would open that door. So these are three different kinds of prayers. Now, here's the third observation, and this third observation doesn't really come from the text itself, but from the application of this text to life. These prayers often work together. So in your prayer life, as you're asking, you're also seeking and you're also knocking, but you're realizing, I've got different I've got like a portfolio of prayers that I can pray for the different needs that I have in my, in my, my life. So my observation is, is this. All great men and women have had to persevere in prayer where they had to mix up these three prayers. And in my, I guess, 35 years of, of ministry, what I've, what I've noticed is that everybody has a jagged, rough area of their life that is painful, that feels rough, jagged, painful. You feel like maybe you're not smart enough, or you're not pretty enough, or you're not qualified enough, or you're not athletic enough, or well-read enough, etc., etc. You feel like there's some, there's some, some lack and you feel like, i, I got to pray through this, this feeling of lack that I have in order to move into the next season of life. Everybody has that. Um, I talked to one person, Christian woman, who was very accomplished and affluent in her job, but her marriage was cool and aloof. Couldn't connect with her husband. See, see there was this the sense of a painful problem in our life. I've talked to other people who have got a great family situation, but their career just can't seem to get off the starting blocks. 
or another who rises pretty quickly up the corporate ladder and realizes, I don't like doing this. I don't like doing this. And what everybody has, has told me who's faced this frustrating situation is that they've had to combine these three prayers as they've prayed their way through a painful situation in their life. It's like God says, I'm giving you a portfolio of, of prayers. Sometimes you need to ask. Sometimes you need to seek. Sometimes you need to knock. But it's important to know what kind of prayer you're praying as you go about praying that prayer. Mix them up. Use the portfolio really well. The key is that you become a, a very healthy and robust asker because God wants you to keep on asking Him for stuff. Now, that leads us to then to the pictures that are around these commands. The command is to ask. Okay, so how do we think about God as we make this ask? Well, the first encouragement comes from verses 5 through 8, and we have to visualize God as being a faithful friend. So here, here's the story. Rather than reading it, I'll, I'll, let, me, let me tell you the story. Imagine you live back in Jesus' day and you're traveling around. There's no hotel chains. There's no fast food restaurants with all-you-can-eat ribs. If you were traveling, you depended upon the hospitality of the people, the strangers, that you would encounter on your journey. And so, these laws of sacrificial hospitality emerged in the ancient world, where if you were a, a host in a home, you were obligated by these laws to take people in, to provide for them for three days, and then to send them off on their way with some food. Okay? We don't have that in our culture. They had that in our culture. So, back to the story. Imagine one night, it's 11 p.m., the lights are out, your kids are in bed, you got a big day tomorrow. You just descended into a deep sleep, and somebody knocks on your door with bleary eyes. You ask behind the closed door, who is it? And the answer says, the answer comes like this. Hey, Mike, it's Joe from next door. I got a real problem. Guests have come into my house. I don't have any food. I'm super embarrassed about this. Can you lend me three loaves of bread? Now, I hope you can see this in the screens. Here is a big wooden door on what would have been an ancient house in the ancient world. And what you need to know about these doors was they had very complex locking mechanisms uh, that meant if you were to unlock the door, you'd make a big lot of noise and probably wake everybody up, okay? So, Joe, so the guy who's is the host is irritable and cranky, and he says, Joe, are you kidding me? You're waking me up this late. My kids are asleep. The animals in my house are asleep. A lot of the cows and sheep were in the, in the house with them in the ancient world. I, I, let's wait till tomorrow. I don't want to open up the door tonight and wake everybody up. Let's just, let's just wait until tomorrow. I can identify with that. We are, we've taken on our son and daughter-in-law's dog for a year. And there have been times where I've thought, I am not going to get out of bed right now because I don't want the dogs to get up and be crazy. Multiply that times 30, and you get the idea about, about this story. But Joe from next door is not going to be deterred. He keeps knocking. He keeps asking. He keeps seeking your help. And now Jesus breaks into the story, 
in verse 8, and he says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his perseverance, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. I love it that Jesus does this because he's going to uh, take this negative example and use it as a positive story about God. But notice the word he uses, perseverance. That word perseverance means shameless stubbornness. This guy is being shamelessly stubborn. He keeps knocking, saying, Joe, the guests are here. I need three loaves of bread. Come on, please. No, the kids are asleep. No, Joe, come on, please. please. I, I need the bread. I need the bread. Jesus is saying that kind of perseverance is like shameless stubbornness. It's incessant perseverance. It's reckless determination. This guy is simply not going to give up. So finally, the guy says, okay, fine. I'm going to open the door for you. I'll give you what you need. Just stop bugging me. You ever done that? If somebody's shamelessly persevering. The neighbor responded not to the friendship, but to being bugged. Okay? And Jesus' point is a lesson by contrast. God is not like that begrudging friend. We visualize him that way sometimes. He's not like that. God is the opposite. He is super generous and he's ready to give. And so it's okay if in our humanity we want to be shamelessly stubborn in the prayers that we pray. That's okay, with one caveat. And the one caveat is it's important that we remember God is holy, that He is our Abba Father, and that He's high and majestic and good. It's important that we do that. But having said that, it's also important that we make our ask visualizing God as being a faithful friend. So I'm convinced Jesus used a radical word so that we would be freed up to pray, to pray consistently, to pray repetitively about those important things that are on our, our heart. Now something happens in your soul when you, start, when you start doing this. Your prayers create a story of adventure in your life. And the storyline of the adventure goes like this. You may be in the process of prayer. You're praying repetitively. And as you pray, sometimes God dramatically provides for you. It's wonderful when that happens. There were time, it was a time when Cindy and I were living in California, and the realtor called us and said, we need to do a major repair on your house in Dallas. It's going to cost about $3,000. We were planning a church in Los Angeles. We didn't have that. And I can remember thinking, all right, Lord, we're, we're, like, we're, we're desperate for you. And we received a check for $3,000 that allowed us to do that. Well, that, that created a story of adventure for us. That was a wonderful story of adventure. Um, when you persistently pray, you are crafting a story of God's faithfulness in your life. So let me, let me encourage you to do something. My encourage you is to keep a list of the things that are on your heart. Keep an asking list. I would, I would encourage you to make it more than one thing. I would encourage you to make it less than a dozen things. Keep a list. 
Lord, these are the things that I really, really want in my life right now. And begin to pray about those. Maybe you might ask God to refine your wants, to refine your needs, but start praying about those things. And look at your prayer through that list as you being on an adventure with God in which God, your generous friend, is seeking to provide. Remember, what he says, because of his persistence, he will get up and give him, what is it, just a little? A tiny amount? A fraction of what he wanted? As much as he needs. The idea there in the parable is that God wants to give and that he's generous. So my encouragement to you is to keep a list and visualize God as your faithful friend who wants to give. Now, here's the second encouragement. Remember, we're, we got the central commands in verses 9 and 10. It's sandwiched around two stories. The story number one is about a faithful friend. Now we go to God being a faithful father. And then notice what Jesus is doing. He's going from friend to father, going from one level of commitment now to a higher level of commitment. He wants to ramp up our view of God, not just a faithful friend. He is like a faithful father. So, verse, verses 11 and 12, what father among you, if, he sees it, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Wow. <laughs> um, in this parable, it's He's saying it's possible for us to go from seeing God as a reluctant friend to seeing Him as a generous father. So imagine this. We're back in first century Israel. A father and his son are working out in the fields. Uh, boys who are seven, eight, nine started doing that. And the son is ravenously hungry, and he's saying, Dad, can I please have something to eat? Remember one time we were driving from Bartlesville to Dallas. My son Caleb is in the seat next to me. He's about, I don't know, maybe 10 years old. And he was cranky, he was upset, he was angry. He said, Dad, I need something to eat. Will you please give me something to eat? I said, no, just wait until we get to Texas. Dad, I need to do something right now. And finally, Cindy, who was in the back seat, said, Rod, let's just stop and get him something to eat. We went to the McDonald's, got him a burger and some fries, and he was a gem the rest of the way. He just needed something to eat right? So, that's the, that's the story of this son craving some food from his dad. He's been working out in the fields. And what would you think if the father with malice of intent says, hey, kid, I'll give you your fish, but he hands him a coiled, venomous snake, forked tongue going out and in, out and in. What would you think of a father who did that? What a terrible dad. It's an awful father. What would you think if a father says, hey, kid, I'll, I'll give you your egg. Here's a stone. You think that that's a terrible father. It's an awful, awful father. I would never, I would never do that. So then Jesus says, look, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's break that apart for a second. If you being evil, what he's saying is we're all fallen human beings. And if I, as an imperfect, fallen father, 
who makes mistakes, gets angry at times. If, if I, as a fallen, imperfect dad, if I would never do something like that, if I would be generous with my child, generous even to the point of sacrifice, if I would do that, how much more would God, as a father, be generous? I had somebody ask me, uh, why did you guys take your son and daughter-in-law's nine-month-old big puppy for a year? Why? Why would you do that? I'm asking myself the same question sometimes. <laughs> like, why did we do this? And really what it came down to was he wants to get his MBA. He's going to do it over in, in France. And this served him. Okay, so I'm an imperfect father. Okay, if, if my impulse is to serve, how much more is the God of the universe's impulse to serve? Line number two, how much more will your heavenly Father give? This is an invitation to peer into the heart of God. And then comes the incredible, the incredible conclusion, okay? Here's the conclusion. If you being evil, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit? Whoa, wait a second. What, like, like, where did that come from? The Holy Spirit. Like, wh where in the world did, did that idea come from? Well, Jesus is giving us a class of prayer that we should strive for. See, back in, the, in Old Testament times, people did not receive the indwelling of the Spirit. Now, David did. King David received that. It only happened several times. One of the biggest things you could ask for if you were a Jew in the New Testament period was, oh man, I would love to have the Holy Spirit. It's like this really, really big answer to prayer. What's the best thing you could ask for? If I could have the Holy Spirit, that'd be amazing. If I could have the presence of God inside me, that would be incredible. By using give the Holy Spirit, he's saying ask for big things. Ask for really big things. You know, um, there's a book called Good to Great, and it's by, <clears throat> it's by um, Jim Collins and Jerry Porras, and he's talking about goal setting. And he says, you know, good companies establish BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. It's a great, great term, big, hairy, audacious goals. And the, the Boeing 747 in the 1967, well, in 1967, was a BHAG. Nobody thought you could, you could build a Boeing 747. They thought it was aerodynamically impossible. But they bet everything on the fact that this would be the plane of the future, the Boeing 747, BHAG. What Jesus is asking us to do here is to pray a BHAP, a big, hairy, audacious prayer. And the idea is we should ask for something so incredibly big that only God could do it. And in this case, back in the first century, it was the Holy Spirit. Man, if I could encounter the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that would be absolutely incredible. But notice that he's also referring to praying for the fullness of the presence of God in our life as well. And so part of, part of God's generosity is that He doesn't want to just give us the stuff that we're asking for, the entry into the college, the new house, 
maybe the new job, the, whatever those things are. What, what he really wants us to be asking for is a deeper encounter with him as a person. And if you can get to the place in your prayer life where you're asking, you're seeking, you're knocking, God, you're a faithful friend, I know that you're going to give. God, you're a faithful father, I know you're going to give. You get to the place where you say, God, my, my greatest desire is to encounter you. That's when you know you're really growing into a place of prayer. Remember, G.K. Chesterton, uh, kind of an edgy author, one time saying, you know, you know what a man wants when he seeks his, his words, a woman of the night? You know what he really wants? He's really wanting to fill that hole in his soul that can only be filled by God. That's what he's saying. It's a great statement. Anytime we go after those things that we just think, this will really fill me up, we realize mm, it's not going to do it. It's going to tear me down. What we're really hoping for is the kind of fullness that only God can give to us. And so when you pray, it's important that you, you say, God, I want these things. Here's, here's my list. But what I really want is you. Lord, I want more of you. I want more of your fullness. I want more of your grace. I want more of your wisdom, more of your insight, more of your power, more of the sense of your authority, more, more of the sense that I, I can serve people in your strength. So what, what I want to do now is just ask you to stand. And uh, I, want you to, I want you to take a look at the main idea, and I'm going to ask you to do something. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He loves you like a faithful friend. He loves you like a fantastic dad. Therefore, he delights when you ask him for things. And I'd like for us just to have a moment of silence right now where you ask him right now for your top three requests. And then um, we're going to have our elder come forward and pray for us, and it's going to be Paul Gustafson. Uh, he's going to come and pray for us. Well, you, you pray for God's, your top three requests, and just... Let's just use this as a time to ask.